This episode is brought to you by Great Waters Financial. Listen to those obstacles and listen to the voice behind them that is guiding you into something that you can't even imagine. Owner and founder of Sharehouse Goods, Jared Kronk, joins us on this episode. Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. This is Larry Gates. And Armin Asadi. And we are coming at you with a very special guest today. That's right. Because he's a guy who's making a difference in a community one person at a time. That's right. We finally get to catch someone before they get on a level that's hard to relate with. We're catching them in that in-between phase where... He's still pretty relatable. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about this after we recorded this interview. I mean, a lot of our guests have some level of notoriety, right? They've already reached something, and maybe some of our listeners are going, yeah, that's great for him, and he's got an interesting story or her. But, you know, I haven't done any (laughs) Grammy-winning stuff or, you know, anything that's kind of risen to that level. Multiple millions of people watching my videos. My my movies or, you know, read my books or any of that sort of stuff. But it occurs to me, you know, all of those people start started at some point in time in their life where none of that was true. And they even say that, right? Right. So we're going to be talking to a guy today who's a little bit earlier in, I think, what is going to be a really transformational journey. Yeah. And it's going to go so much further than that. I really do believe that we're catching him in one of the middle chapters of where he's going and he's making transformation in his community in a very real and tangible way. So much so that he's in the news on a regular basis from what I've seen when I looked him up and we didn't, we didn't connect with him. He didn't connect with us. It was one of our listeners who we always listened to recommended said, you need to check this guy out and see if he'd be a fit. On the program today, we're having Jared Kronk, who is a Wheaton College graduate who has been a teacher, a coach, a leadership developer, a headmaster of a pretty well-known Christian academy, and now is the owner and founder of Sharehouse Goods, which is that organization we've been talking about that is making change and transformation within his city of Milwaukee. If you would, help me welcome Jared Kronk. Jared Kronk, welcome to the Bold Idea Podcast. Thank you, Larry. Well, we're so glad to have you on the show. Now, you are the owner and founder of Sharehouse Goods. What is Sharehouse Goods? Great questions. Sharehouse Goods is kind of an amalgamation of people, and it's an amalgamation of stuff that comes to us, and we sell it online. And then that kind of morphed into a coffee shop into the front of our store that gets out into the community and brings the community into us. So you live where? Just down the street on, um, in a neighborhood called Sherman Park that is within our neighborhood in Milwaukee. So you're in Milwaukee? Correct, yep. Okay, that's a long street from Minneapolis, but we'll go there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great street. Come by sometime. <laughs> All right, so you started Sharehouse Goods, and how did it get going? So to be truthful, my wife started selling some of my stuff that was sitting in our basement, and I reluctantly parted with it. And her first check that she received was like $124 from Amazon. And I saw that, patted her on the back and said, great side job. And then slowly but surely, I found that there was some joy in going to the local Goodwill and uh, picking up textbooks and other things that I could resell online. And then it morphed as people dogpiled on and wanted to get involved in it with us. 
So you came home one day and you started to find things in your closet and your garage and all the stuff that was dear to you get listed on Amazon and you found that you were less and less toys that you used to have, right? Yeah, exactly. I guess it wasn't that dear to us is what we discovered if we could sell it and make a profit. Uh-huh. So tell me a little bit more about Sharehouse Goods. What What is so intriguing about it that it's making news? That's a great question. I mean, I think what people are liking about it is that they can bring it, their excess stuff and they can bring it in and they can actually make a little bit of a profit off of it. We pay back upwards of 70% back to the people that consigned with us. But the piece that I think is most intriguing is that we are seeking to grow Milwaukee in ways that are really good for Milwaukee. We're trying to get people together to collaborate around ideas of economic development. I would That's got to be what's drawing them in. Now, earlier we talked about you have a teacher, coach, leadership development background, headmaster of a Christian academy and all this other stuff. How did you, of all people, end up in a position where you're talking to us about economic development in the city that you live in? That could only be God because it was really through a dark time. I was in a school and was very eager. I had just gotten married. Our first child was on the way. I was very eager to form what I considered to be one of the greatest high schools in America, because it was a combination of suburban and urban kids. But I came to a point where the board and I saw things differently. I actually stepped out into what I consider just an oblivion. I resigned and had no clue what I was going to do. And so it was probably the, the darkest time in my life that led me to this entrepreneurial endeavor. So describe that dark season of your life. What was that like? It was terrifying. I was a kid that grew up. My dad died when I was 10. Mm. And I had this deep fear of provision from that time on. I just never knew where stuff was going to come from. And my mom did a great job providing and God did a great job providing for us. But I had no idea that this fear was so embedded in me. When it was really tested, when stuff was stripped away, my identity, the uh, the stuff I was really searching to define myself off of, namely academics, was stripped away. I had to dig deep into the gospel and discover what Christ really intended for me to be in him. When that happened to you as a young man, did you make some resolutions? Like that movie Gone with the Wind where she says, you know, I will never let this happen again or whatever. I forget (laughs) exactly what she says. But did you make a resolution when you were a young man that you will always have provision? I think I did. I, I remember seeing myself as a, as a kid in my mind's eye, kind of my hands thrust down in my pocket and just saying, no way. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to depend on people again, you know, because my dad uh, couldn't, he, he didn't have power over his own life and left me, quote unquote, a little bit high and dry. So I am, I'm going to make my own way. And to use your Gone with a wind analogy, frankly, my dear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, we're not going to go down that road anymore. <laughs> right. We'll leave it. So I have to ask if you don't mind and you don't have to answer this, but how did your dad pass? Yeah. that No, I don't mind answering that. He had a brain tumor. And so it came about very quickly. One day he went from healthy outdoors sporting guy to laid up in a kind of semi-vegetative state from a grand mal seizure that just happened in the midst of a restaurant one day. Wow. And was that right in front of you? No, it was not. I actually came home from school and heard about this and kind of was, I think I was 
sent into about a six to seven year chaos period. Mm-hmm. Oh, so it took that long before your dad passed away? No, it took a year. It took me that long to come to terms with what yeah. had happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So fast forward here to the storehouse good conception here. You're married and your wife is looking for sources of additional income, decides to start selling some of your stuff. Mm-hmm. And you find out that actually there's some modest economic value there, but you start to find out that the community also responding to that same sort of thing. Where, where does the gospel fit in, in all this? How does this become a ministry to you? Yeah, I was reading at the time, I was reading James Davidson Hunter's book to change the world. And I was getting wrapped around the fact that Jesus came to cause flourishing in a number of different aspects. One of the ways that he did that was through a faithful presence. And so we moved ourselves down into the city. We knew that Milwaukee was broken. We bought a foreclosed house and renovated it. And this sharehouse goods concept allowed me to really focus in and spend time renovating the house, getting to know the neighborhood. And at the same time, I was starting a college and career center at our local high school, Washington High School. We were invited in by the principal. So my academic background gave me a little bit of a leg up in that school. So this idea of being faithfully present in the mess, coming in alongside of people, was part of what ShareHouse is really about. And if I could, I'm sorry, I'm going to go on just for a second here. There was a verse in Matthew that I always took as kind of a 11th hour salvation verse Hmm. that had to do with the, the vineyard owner coming in and paying his people whatever wages he felt they would receive. And they all received the same wage for working the same Time period. And, and the punchline of that is, he said, do you begrudge me my generosity? And I began, it began to sink in that God's provision is radical, it's deep, and it's not just material, mm-hmm. but that is a piece of it. And so Sharehouse Goods began to form with an idea of actually implementing cultural change, which is a very holistic concept. What change were you hoping to see in Milwaukee here in this neighborhood that you're going into? What is it that struck you that needed transformation that you wanted to lean into there? I live in the Sherman Park neighborhood and last last summer we had some riots. The heat the heat in Milwaukee typically brings out kind of the the craziness within the city, but this last summer things really just popped and over time we've been reflecting on this and even prior to the riots, we we're reflecting on this kind of 450 years worth of history that is at work within the central city where I'm, I'm living because it's pre- predominantly African-American and it is predominantly poverty. And so there's becoming a little bit of a mix of people bumping and rubbing shoulders together. But there is this concept of I'm going to get mine and when am I going to get mine? And in becoming friends with the neighbors, my desire has been to see to see Sharehouse begin to reflect some of this generous nature of God into the city. And so some of the problems that we're seeing are people moving about in a, in a fashion that isn't looking out for the good of the city and not looking out for the good of a neighbor. But when there's all this history at work, all this development of others taking from them and terrible concepts like redlining within the banking industry that would keep people from actually being able to get loans just because of a skin color. We knew, we knew that there was going to have to be something fairly dramatic and something that included jobs and economic development. So there we went. So Jared, does Sharehouse Goods employ a number of the people in the community then? 
Yeah, it does. We kind of a payroll basis. We have anywhere from eight to 12 people that are working just on an hourly basis. But then I also write checks, consignment checks out to individuals and organizations. And I write about 60 of those every month, totaling far more than I ever expected a little business like this to bring in. Helping people economically and also giving them jobs. Now, what are the other transformational activities that you found working in your community through Sharehouse Goods? So one of the things that happened through Sharehouse that we never expected is that once we moved out of our basement, which was within the first year and a half, we moved into a warehouse and the warehouse was not a good fit for us. We were teaching another nonprofit. We're a for-profit business. We were teaching a nonprofit how to do this. And it felt like we were very disconnected from the community. So we actually ended up buying a couple buildings down the street from where I live. And what has happened is that there are people coming to this space because we opened it up for a coffee shop. And it's become this kind of a a Milwaukee collide space where, I mean, like atoms collide and energy is shared. People are colliding and ideas and collaboration is happening in ways that is fomenting other small businesses and some nonprofits that are popping out of it. Fomenting is a good word to use in a coffee shop. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Or or brewing. I don't know. (laughs) All right. So how did you get the idea of forming a coffee shop? Was it to kind of extend this community presence? Yeah. I mean, it's to extend a community presence. I just loved coffee. I loved the coffee culture. I mean, ever since way back in the day, I was a youth pastor in Colorado and had this just affinity to be at a coffee shop, meet meet people at a coffee shop. I knew that some of my best ideas were formed in a coffee shop. And so when we had a space that opened out onto North Avenue in Milwaukee, that really was the first thing that came to my mind. And my wife did not disagree with me on that. That was helpful. So you told me a little bit about how this idea came to be, but if you had to describe it to the people listening, and again, keep in mind, this is the Bold Idea podcast. Where did this idea come from other than your wife selling something from the basement? <laughs> this, this idea, again, going back to that term, had been brewing probably since creation hmm. because it's the gospel at work. When I entered that dark period we were talking about earlier, coming out of the school that I was the headmaster of, it was very easy to point the finger at other people. It was all their fault. And in fact, a lot of people around me, it was, it was easy to listen to them that, oh, how dare they would do that to you and whatever. But when it came home through a little bit of reflection and also having children, how deeply entrenched sin is in me, the cross began to make sense. And the love of God was always something that I had assumed. I knew that he loved me, but I couldn't reconcile why the cross. Why did, why did God need to die? And this deep recognition of sin in this dark period where instead of the finger pointing out, I recognized that there were fingers pointing back at me. I began to own this and recognize how deeply it was entrenched in me. The gospel of grace and what it meant and what Christ had actually done began to change my identity. It began to free me. And instead of clenching my fists and white knuckling it through life, which I felt like I was really doing as, a, as an academic, my hands began to open and my heart began to open. Mm. And I began to see myself in my neighbor. And I began to see that there was very little difference 
between me and the guy that would tick me off to no end doing what they call dipping, <laughs> which is a practice of passing on the right in, uh, in the city. Sure. Yeah, sorry. I that thought that was good. a coffee thing. That was- <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like chewing tobacco, doesn't it? <laughs> This is the Bold Idea Podcast. Hey, Armin, I have a question for you. A little nervous, but go ahead, bring it on. What would your 65-year-old self say to you right now? Oh, well, it would probably start with a slap upside my head and follow with a please stop being an idiot. Ha, exactly. I'm glad you agree. Thanks a lot. How did you know? (laughs) Have you encountered my old self? (laughs) No, I've encountered mine too. That's why we all need to know about Great Waters Financial. All right, listen, all kidding aside, Great Waters Financial is a company that I would put my name and reputation behind any chance I get. It's a company filled with people that I know firsthand, have character, have integrity, you can trust and you can rely on. And this is a company that I believe is one of the best at what they do. Great Waters Financial, based here in Minneapolis, is a financial planning team that will help you customize a financial plan just for you to get you into retirement and to live it greatly. And they prepared a report for our listeners to download the six things your 65-year-old self would want you to know about Social Security. And if you want to see that report, just go to greatwatersfinancial.com forward slash bold idea. Investment advisory services offered through Advisor Net Wealth Management. Great Waters Financial and Advisor Net Wealth Management are not affiliated. Insurance products provided by Great Waters Financial, a Minnesota insurance agency. I'm a little bit more curious about the opposition that you had to this idea. Uh, you seem like a very logical guy, but I'm I, I'm curious on both the logical and the emotional, maybe a third layer of the spiritual side. What kind of opposition did you see when you finally started going down the path of pursuing this sharehouse goods idea? It's mm, a good question. The opposition that I see has been primarily within myself. And I don't, I don't mean that as some sort of a cliche. <laughs> it's not a split personality type of thing. It is my fear, going back to that idea of identity, my identity is rooted in something outside of myself. But the temptation is when every success would come to become hyperinflated with that, that success. Or when something became really difficult, where I'm looking at the balance in the QuickBooks account, and I'm like, whoa, we're not going to be able to pay this month, or how am I going to pay? And then that fear of lack of provision, where now I'm providing for others, kicks in and just is debilitating. I mean, semi-debilitating. So there were, there were definitely moments where I, I don't, I'm not exactly sure what a panic, a panic attack is, but pretty confident that I was living on the edge of panic attacks where my heart was racing. I felt kind of disembodied to some degree. And it was just massive anxiety. And so that obstacle or that resistance to going forward into this kind of what I consider now is almost like a next stage where I'm, we're popping out other businesses where we have a coffee roasting business and we have a juice bar that's opening up and we're beginning to do some other products. And all of these are in partnerships with other individuals. So now all these other people 
are coming in, in addition to all the consigners and the staff that's working an hourly wage. So there's more and more people dependent on this thing, which if I sit to think about it for a second, terrifies me and excites me at the same time. You sound like a kind of guy that has probably a lot of ideas coming at him. You've described a number of things that you're involved in. You said, <laughs> good cup of coffee. Well, given that this one's been brewing since creation, it's a pretty strong cup. But <laughs> a good cup it of is. coffee is probably going to give you a lot of ideas, right? So That is right. Jared, you're probably not unlike a number of us who mm-hmm. are thinking about a bunch of ideas that are coming at us. And, and I'm wondering, given all of the things that you've been thinking about and the initiatives that you have underway in your community and the transformation you want to see and all the different partnerships you're putting together, how do you discern whether something is worth your pursuit right now in light of all the things that you're attending to? (laughs) I listen deeply to my wife as she (laughs) tells me on a regular basis that I'm engaging too much and I need to maybe draw back a little bit. We have a really great balance of I'm home almost every day for lunch and we're, we're spending as much time. I mean, the business has actually freed me up to be engaged, but there is a listening, a very prayerful listening that goes on that is not, it's not just the stopping and going through the motions of saying some sort of a prayer, yet there is that. But it's a, it's a listening to just the wisdom of, of the partnership and the ideas waiting to see if, like a building, waiting to see if if you put an offer on a building and if it gets accepted, then maybe that's what you're supposed to do. If it doesn't get accepted, then you reevaluate and determine if you get to offer more money or, or whatnot. It's just, there is a time, there's a time where you shut down and go a different direction. But right now it seems that there's an awful lot of green lights in my life. Hmm. So what would you say to someone that's listening to this, that's considering taking a next step to what they feel like is their call or a idea that they might have brewing in their head, what would you want them to take away from you and your experiences? I want, I want people to know that we have a generous God who cares deeply, not just for our material well-being, but he cares deeply about the whole story and invites us to be engaged in that story and to only choose the safe options or the regular options disengages us sometimes from the immensity of grace and the immensity of freedom and joy that God wants us to come into and be part of this this entrepreneurial dance. There, there are hurting cities and Milwaukee is not just, you know, the, it's just the one that I'm called to right now, but there are hurting cities. There are people with anger and angst, and there's a need for people to engage them in ways that are working right alongside. And so I would encourage people to jump into that. Not, not with reckless abandon, but step by step. Not many years ago, you were a headmaster at a Christian Academy, and I've got to imagine that you probably didn't think you would be where you are today doing what you're doing when you were there. No chance. Never, never imagined. I'd never planned this. And so when you speak back to your past self, what would you say are the lessons that you will be learning uh, through going through this journey? The Jared eight years ago, listen, listen to the obstacles as they come up, whether they be people 
or whether they be situations that seem insurmountable, listen to what God is doing in those to redirect your obstinate self. Because we can't arrange and strategize with the same beauty and design that that God can seeing the front and the back of the tapestry. So listen, listen to those obstacles and listen to the voice behind them that is guiding you into something that you can't even imagine that is is going to be a level of enjoyment that is far surpassing from something you can get from just a good cup of coffee or a good glass of wine. <laughs> right on. I have a question about your wife. Yeah. So you mentioned that she's a source of inspiration to kind of tell you what ideas are good for the portfolio, when you should back away and all the rest. But if we had her on the program, how would she say you've been changed through all this? I think she would say that I am more patient. <laughs> I think I think that she would probably say that there's still a lot of work <laughs> to go. She's pretty <laughs> You know honest. she's going to be listening to this podcast, right? So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think she she might say that I, I listen a little bit, a little bit better, and that I am a little bit, a little bit gentler with people and with myself and with her and the children. How has this changed your belief in God? It cements what I've known for a long time. I knew, I knew His love was profound. I knew it was deep. I knew it was all-encompassing. I knew that there was four chapters to the gospel. I knew that there was creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Mm. But the restoration piece is the piece that we are in now. And so this this imminent presence of God and his holiness simultaneously is really, it's almost like the weight of glory coming down on me. It, uh, it causes me to believe that heaven truly exists mm. and that we're just getting little tastes believe that eternity is really something to, to long for. What do you think people that were in your position eight years ago, what do you think is the biggest lie that they believe about God? Armin, another good question. The, the people that have this kind of driven personality, I think we're pretty performance oriented. And I think that we, we really do believe that God expects more from us than what we can deliver. And I think that if I could be encouraged by somebody or encourage somebody else in moving forward into entrepreneurial stuff, and if that inhibition comes up where it feels like we're having to work for the approval of God, instead of receiving, receiving his approval outside of us in a person who actually does everything that is required of us perfectly, lives a perfect life lives perfectly in the community, knows how to care for people, doesn't flip people off while he's driving. <laughs> you know, there is, there is healing in them. And that the, the lie is that we're constantly having to achieve something that's going to earn his approval when the approval is actually earned in, in Christ. What's the next bold idea for you, Jared? Oh, great question. So it is making coffee, MKE. ING coffee. And we have a fantastic partnership with a local roaster named Stone Creek. Eric Rush is the, the founder and the owner of Stone Creek. They've been roasting for 25 years. And he came to me and he said, Jared, coffee changes lives. It's the, the second most traded commodity in the world after oil. And I want to see, I want to see Milwaukee changed through coffee. He actually leaned in and he, and he said, 
Jared, I don't, I don't get what's up with some of these churches. I've offered them that I would buy a roaster if they would seek to try to develop a market within the, within the city of Milwaukee and actually get people to profit from coffee beyond just, you know, us as the big roaster. So what we've done is we've created a company that 50% of the profit goes back into the hands of our employees. And the employees are actually being termed coffee experts. They're being trained to manage the accounts as they come in. And these folks are employment obstacled individuals from Milwaukee, which means that they grew up in a certain zip code, means that they may be ex-incarcerated. They may be some of the students from Washington High School. We're very open open to this, but uh, we're, we want to pour 50% of the actual profit right back into the hands of individuals. And so our goal is just roasting a thousand pounds per month in the first year and seeing two to three people employed with decent wages, which for us means between you know thirty dollars and $35,000 a year. So if someone is listening to this and they want to do what you have built over the last eight years, is there any way for them to do that right now, connect with you or otherwise? The ShareHouse model, we've actually been able to replicate it in California and in Florida and different parts of Wisconsin. They could contact me. And we could talk through how to create income online through stuff that people don't want to use or just even brainstorming about how to collaborate with the individuals that are probably in their lives right now. We do kind of a franchise model very loosely, but can encourage people to start their own in their city. And I really do believe that like ShareHouse could exist in every city because there's just so much excess in our country right now. Do you have a website where they can get a hold of you? Yeah, ShareHouse Goods. Dot com. Great. Well, we'll include that in the show notes as well, so people can go right there. And Jared, thank you for being a part of the Bold Idea Podcast. We really appreciate hearing your life story and how God has led you to make a difference in the Milwaukee community. Thank you, Leary. Thank you, Armin. Glad to have you. Our pleasure. Well, Armin, that was Jared Cronk. So glad we had him. Yeah, I like listening to a guy, as we talked about at the very beginning, who's you know still pretty ordinary. I mean, very relatable. And Mm -hmm. you can kind of see how he was working through some of the the things. What does this mean for me right now in my life? And where do I take it? I mean, that was kind of, as he was talking, I could feel where he was at. Right. right? While making tangible impact though. And making tangible impact. Yeah. Yeah. So takeaways. Yeah. Go. If I want to start. Please. One of the things that he said that I really enjoyed hearing, and he's not the first to say it, but he's the first to say it in this way. So other people have said it engage the journey or see what God is doing today. Yeah. But the way he said it, which I love is that he said, engage in the story and he's relating it to himself, right? He said all these things that have happened, there's just been, there's a story that's been getting written and he's saying to engage in the story. And he was saying that as he was talking about how God is a generous God and he's not just generous in terms of material things, but throughout the whole story. So engage in the whole story. And then later on when he was talking, when we asked him, you know, what, what, what some of the opposition that you faced yeah. and what did you learn from that? And he says, he said something really interesting. He said, listen to the obstacles. He didn't say learn from the obstacles. He says, oh, yeah. listen yeah, that's to a, the obstacles. That's a story kind of metaphor there, right? Right. Yeah, that's good. I didn't catch that. Yeah, and so what I love is... He's I just, thought maybe it was just because his wife kept telling him to listen. 
<laughs> I don't know. Is the wife an obstacle? It sounds like she was I mean, kind of a. Those, those a were kind of familiar starter. words, you know. They're kind of they're kind of fighting words in our family. You know? Are you not listening to me? <laughs> Do you win those fights? No, no, because uh, because I'm not listening. <laughs> but yeah, I love that he was saying. Be, listen to people, the situations, or whatever else. Listen to God in those moments to see what God is doing, and I love that. You know because. There, there, there's something that God is designing in us and through us and around us. But a lot of times it takes a boot camp style of pain for us to get to where God is taking it. There's a development phase and development phases aren't always the prettiest or the most comfortable oh, yeah, or the sure. easiest, right? So we go through these uncomfortable phases filled with all sorts of unknowns and the ugly sides of us come out and we're filled with doubt and fear and we question God and all these things come out. But there's God in the midst of it designing something that can not just be transformational in you, but it's transformational in you, your family, your fatherhood or your motherhood, your community. I mean, you're watching this guy who came out of academia and went into an entrepreneurial circle. Now he's not just feeding his family. He's helping other families feed their own yeah. families and he's changing the community he's in. That is a story. That's an awesome story. Indeed it is. And I like how you you brought out that he's talking about story here because you remember he kind of gave us the meta story of the gospel in four stages, right? right. And this and we're in the restoration period right. here. And and that's really what he's doing with Sharehouse Goods. <laughs> right on. <laughs> well, one of the things that struck me, Armin, was that, you know, it started with this very modest beginning. <laughs> His wife you know, selling th- some things on Amazon. Yeah. And I don't exactly know all the transformation of this because, you know, we didn't get into the, the minute by minute on this. We're taking kind of a macro level view. But I could tell from his heart that he has a real love for the community and wanting to see transformation in the community. Right. And this thing that started very small, started with them, and then started with bringing another person along, and then, start, you know, it started this kind of outreach thing, right? And right. now he's got a warehouse where he's employing people to do this stuff for other people. Yeah. He was writing, what, 60 checks or something, so you know that they're they're entertaining much more than that in terms yeah. of the people's lives and families that they're talking to and in, impacting. But what got me was I was, I was recalling Mother Teresa's comment, you know, if you can't mm. feed 100, feed one. Mm-hmm. And that that's what he's doing. He's just taking the what I can do, and I'm going to just take it a step at a time, and we're just going to take it a step at a time, and we're just going to meet the needs. And that mm-hmm. transformational change starts to happen right. in a community. And now he's doing development projects, and they're looking at partnerships with other companies, and they're doing stuff. I mean, I don't know about the coffee-changing lives kind of idea. Right. Maybe. <laughs> but not being a <laughs> coffee drinker, I feel like I'm maybe getting left out of some change. You know, But I do like that he is just responding not necessarily to this grand thing, but just this very simple step-by-step, you know, feed one, you know, and that's how you change lives. There's something else that you said that really stuck out to me. And you pointed something out about the relationship between him and his father and how that's translated to what he's doing today. Yeah, we had a brief conversation with Jared after the recording was off, and we we're just talking a little bit about some of the pain that you know he talked about in losing his dad when he was ten, and mm-hmm. and wanting to be uh, having assurance of provision, mm-hmm. and now he's in that place of really providing some of that assurance of provision, not you know in the way that God does, but using an instrument of God to use that as a way to have that now be his ministry. And right. for many of us, 
the very source of pain in our lives becomes the opportunity God transforms that. He Say re- that again. Say that again. That was so good. Well, the very the very part of our pain in our lives, God uses to transform us into Amen. our into our sphere of ministry. Amen. And I think we're seeing that here with Jared That's play right. out. And I'm not even sure from our conversation how aware he was of of the magnitude of that kind of change. That's but, the best part. Yeah, and it, and it was <laughs> it was kind of fun, but at the same time. It's just neat to see how God takes the things that were fears in our lives and often allows us to now do something to speak into somebody else's life and yep. to lessen that fear for them. And I certainly feel that for myself in my own ministry, the desire to mentor when I felt like that was a longing that I had right. and, and missing there too. So I know that you do the same. Absolutely. I mean, that, that, that that's by far the greatest takeaway right there. So if someone is in the midst of pain right now and you think you're in the eternal season and it's not going to be over, I think this is a phenomenal story to take to heart to know that you here you this guy that you can actually connect with is a perfect example of how God will turn your pain into provision, not just for yourself, but the people around you, or he will take pain and turn it into opportunity. He'll take pain and turn it into ministry. He will take pain and turn it into something that meets the desires of your heart. Yeah. That is the most epic part of that takeaways in this story of Jared. Kronk. Yeah. And for many of us, that pain never goes away. We'll right. carry it with us, but do we use it in a way that transforms and changes others? You know, when we asked him about his, sitting at Wheaton College, you know, and becoming a schoolmaster, then did he then think that he would be where he is today? And he's like, not no at way. all, yeah. you know? And it may be true for each of us. None of us can necessarily anticipate the transformation that God is going to make in our lives and the ministry that he's going to bring forth in and through us. Mm-hmm. But if we desire to just change one thing at a time and just that act of just obedience, right? with awareness to it's not our story. You notice he also said, I don't see both sides of the tapestry, right? It's clear he had this view that it's God's story. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's what he's living out right now, just that awareness to listen to God's story and just to be obedient at every small step. That's right. I mean, there's nothing else we could possibly add to that. That's the best takeaway right there. Uh Well, if you have your own takeaway and you'd like to share that with us, we certainly would love to hear it. Go to boldideapodcast.com slash 21 because this is episode 21 and leave a comment there or call us on our show line at 612-568-IDEA. That's 612-568-4332. We'd love for you to follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Google Plus, all the places that we hang out. Bold Idea Podcast you'll find there. And, you know, of course, we also love to get your reviews on iTunes. It really helps us to get the word out about the show. Share it with your friends. Let others know about the Bold Idea Podcast. And we hope that you found this episode inspiring to you. If you do, would you encourage us by just letting us know? And thanks again for listening. So for this week, this is Larry Gates. And Armin Asadi. Thanks so long, and we wish you the best, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit boldideapodcast.com.